All right, welcome to the Iron Bison Podcast. Uh, this is Brian Bird. Um, we do three things. We want to we want to encourage people's fitness. We want to help their mindset change, and we want to encourage people's walk with God. And today we have a guy that does all three of those things. A very encouraging story. Um, it's my honor to introduce David Resnick. David, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you are doing this and spreading this message because I don't think there's enough of it. And so this is a very fulfilling and healthy thing. And I'm so happy God brought our paths to cross. Yeah. So, you know, when it was interesting about a month ago, maybe more, we're in Boise, Idaho, Garden City, actually with our, with our mutual friend, Brian Mitchell, who runs a training center called Epoch down there. And Brian, um, gets people ready. He does all kinds of things with fascial release. He's kind of a leading expert in, in helping athletes go from zero to hero, I say, and through fascial release and his training, he's just an expert in the field. And Brian said, I got to introduce you to somebody. I go, okay, meet David. I'm like, hi, David. We met quick. And then we proceeded to do a DECA workout. And for all those out there that don't know what a DECA is, it's a 10 event, kind of a, um, a CrossFit-like uh, event where you're doing skiing and rowing and pushing sleds and and then you pick up these things called the ram and the ram are these 55 to 65 pound tubes you put them above your head and you do like 20 burpees or you do sit-ups with them and you do lunges with them and anyways the trick in this type of endurance event everybody thinks oh it's a strength event it's really an endurance event it's keep your heart rate at a point where you're not going to just bonk out and pass out on the floor but mm -hmm. you go fast enough to compete so Brian hosts these twice a month. Go to go to uh, Epoch E P O C if you want to see about it. But David and I are there on a Saturday morning, and we do something called Iron Courage, where we do the Deca together. We we practice it in a little loose format, and then we then we share story. And it's at that event with Brian that I got to hear David's story. He's got to hear part of mine. And really quickly, uh, we knew we had some things in common we wanted to talk more about. So today we hope to unpack those, but David, um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Ever since we talked at DECA, you know, I look over and I'm like, and we're pushing and both of us are in pretty good shape, but I'm, I may be a little older if you can tell, um, <laughs> no excuses, but, uh, but all of a sudden I, I see this, I see David in the corner, like ripping through these, through these, uh, through these stations. And, um, I'm like, man, he's. I go, and I, I, David, I didn't know a whole lot about you other than you're one of Brian's, um, clients and then i find mm -hmm. out later you've actually uh been kind of at the highest levels of sport in the entertainment industry uh for cirque du soleil mm -hmm. pardon my french people out there listening but um so david let's start there who comes into the i've never worked out with um i've I worked out with some professional athletes I used to play football and we got into some linebackers and receivers that were pretty excellent pretty fast pretty pretty um good athletes but i've never worked out with a guy who's like yourself who comes from the entertainment industry the gymnastics and puts it all together and i i would i would put you guys on a whole nother level of professional tell us about yourself and Cirque du Soleil yeah that was a fun I've never done a workout like that and those ram things that was <laughs> something else and I remember you saying to me you said you're a little slow on the sled <laughs> and the uh, sled pushing is probably my week. Every time I do it, it sucks. And I have to embrace that. In terms of my, my background, I grew up, I grew up from a really young age being in a gym. So my father owned a gymnastics facility when I was born. And I basically was brought into the gym before I could crawl. And I learned to crawl in the gym. I learned to walk in the gym. I learned to run in the gym, backflip in the gym, like everything that I learned was probably in a gymnastics facility of some sort. Oh, and wow. so growing up that way, just the level of curiosity that I've always had for movement, just in general, has been very high. I had a Russian coach, his name was Oleg Dmitriev, starting at the age of four. Oh. And so some background, he came from the USSR and he came to 
San Francisco is where they moved to first, and he was part of the Flying Crane. So if you go on YouTube and you type in Flying Cranes, Moscow Circus, you will see the troop of men that I was brought up with. And their sons, I was part of a gymnastics group that Oleg coached at my dad's gym. So my dad hired him and Lena. They both were gymnasts on the USSR Olympic team. Then they were in this trapeze act for the Moscow Circus. They come here and Oleg was my coach. He spoke very little English. I was in a gymnastics class with Russian boys. We would train in the morning. And then in the evening, he often would take us to the show. Wow. So we would go and we would hang out backstage. I remember that was just a part of my childhood was being backstage, watching them train, jumping on the nets, playing ping pong off stage right of the stage. They had a pool table and a ping pong table and at the Grand Sierra Hotel in Reno, Nevada. And so that's how I grew up. And that led to a long career in gymnastics, competitively 15 years. I got to the part for college where I made a a college video. I sent it out a little bit, but there was some turmoil personally in my life. And there was a lot of, I would call it chaos that was happening. And I couldn't get a college scholarship because Mm. honestly, there's not a lot of opportunities for men's gymnastics because of Title IX which took away scholarships from some men's sports, equaled it with women's sports, which I think is awesome, but it has greatly affected the ability for men to do gymnastics in college. There's not, there's under 20 programs collegiately that offer any scholarship money. And in order to get a full ride, you essentially have to win national championships. So the opportunities were low. I, Still trained though. What ended up happening was I developed, the gym has always been a peaceful place for me, especially a gymnastics gym. And I continued to train and I continued to build and develop skills. I got better on trampoline. I got better in different areas. I continued to do strength training. And it got to a point where I moved to Vegas. I started performing on the strip in Vegas. And then I did an audition, a live audition for Cirque du Soleil, which a lot of people are found through YouTube or they're, I would say, they, they find them at like world championships and they recruit them. I wasn't recruited. It was just, I showed up in an audition because my friend wanted to go. He was scared to go alone. So I went with him <laughs> and I made it through and then I was, I worked on a cruise ship performing. Then I had come back from the cruise ship and from the time I auditioned a year later to the end of the cruise ship contract, I had turned down four cert contracts. Oh, wow. The first one I was offered was totem and they told me I was too tall. Believe it or not, I was told, I was told that I was too tall. For the listeners, David may not, you know, play center for basketball. David, how, how, how tall are you? I'm like five, seven on a good day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Five, seven, five, eight. Right. Okay. And you're too tall. Too tall. Yes. The measurement they had me do was hanging and I had to measure from the bottom of my wrist to my feet and they were in the creation stage of the show. So they were very specific on measurements. So I go to work on the cruise ship. I turned down a bunch of these contracts. I was in love with a girl. I turned one down because of that. I was paid for school and they wanted me to leave for finals. Just Another one, it wasn't long enough, and I selfishly thought I deserved more. And then Corteo, I, they wanted high bar footage, and I was on the cruise ship and couldn't get them um, the proper footage. So I come back. I'm in school at Boise State. I'm a Bronco. Always a Bronco at heart. Go Bronco Let's Nation. Go. Yeah. And I'm in geology, and I get a phone call. And it's a 514 number, which is Montreal, Canada. I took the phone call. I was walking out of class. I put my finger up at the professor as if to say, hold, please. And I go out into the hallway (laughs) and he looked so disturbed, by the way, that I answered a phone in class. But I went out in the hallway and they said, this is Cirque du Soleil. We'd like to offer you a permanent contract for the show Totem. The same show that they told me I was too tall for a year prior. Wow. Wow. I kind of laughed and I told them, I said, I thought I was too tall. They said, no, well, we realized there's another guy here that's your height. 
and he's totally okay. So we just want to offer you the position we were going to offer you originally. And I said, yes, I did a, you know, a couple of Tiger Woods fist pumps. I'm pretty sure I jumped up in the air. I did a man roar and I walked, I walked back in the class and I packed my backpack. I went up and shook the teacher's hand and I said, thank you. I went to the Dean's office, withdrew from school with a W, went to the gymnastics gym because my dad was a coach at Boise State for many years. And I went to the gym. I was full of fear. I was Mm -hmm. fear of judgment from my father. I was fear of abandonment. I was fear of being a disappointment because he always stressed to me the the principle of staying in school, getting a college education, doing things how, what, what he knows. And I was going in there full force with, I'm out of here. I didn't like college. I didn't have, I wasn't happy. And I went in with uh, that expectation. And what I was met with was just love and support. And he said to me, I'm glad you don't have two feet in one shoe anymore. If you're going to go, do, if you're going to go do this, go do it a hundred percent and go be great. Come on. And I know that for him, there was a lot of fear of me getting hurt because he's yeah. had former gymnasts go get hurt. He knows there's a drug and alcohol culture in Cirque du Soleil. Mm. And he knows that mentally that rock star lifestyle is what it is. And that's how I got to serve. And then I had a, a decade career. And what that looked like was doing over 300 shows per year. I worked Oof. in two different shows. We would often do nine to 10 shows a week. And you are prepping your body for a performance where your life is at risk every single night. So David, let's, um, let's pause right there. Risking your life every single night. For 10 years, 300 shows a year, he's probably done 3,000 shows, could give or take a few. At least, yeah. At, at minimum. Wow. And you're walking, and you're very athletic, and you're standing. I, I just, that's an accomplishment worth pausing on and saying, you know, if you look at the average of sports, high-level folks, NFL's a good one. It's the longevity in these type of high-pressure, um, high-demand sports is is it, it can't be that long, and you've you've got a decade. Kudos, kudos, well done, David. Something I want to pause on too is you. You uh, a lot of times we were talking earlier before we started recording. You know, a lot of times people talk about instant gratification, and they think that they they want you know all this. We're in this on demand culture where I can order food with a push of a button, I can pull up entertainment with a push of a button, and I can order house cleaning with a push of a button, an app. I can um, get work done. I can have someone come mow my lawn, fix my car, clean my house, and the list goes on. And and there's there's an implied shortcut to everything these days. There's an app for that. It's said over and over and over. But mm-hmm. I listen to your story. I'm, str- I'm struck with a couple things. One is you didn't wake up and go try out for Cirque and make it and be a professional athlete. From the age of four, you start getting reps in with with Russian uh, experts, top of their field, with guys who've carried this down traditionally from their families. And and this wasn't mm-hmm. like you just were, were said, you know what, I'm going to push an app, and on demand, I'm going to go work for Cirque. You put in reps and decades, and... I imagine you've been through injuries and, and ups and downs that come with the gymnastics world. You just read about so many uh, athletes' careers are ended on on a, a bad landing, um, an ACL gone bad, uh, you know, et cetera, Olympic dreams dashed, and you persevere. And tell me about, you know, being nervous to go talk to your dad, our, our parents, um, Carrying authority and approval, especially our dads, carrying approval, they carry an affirmation, they carry a message. You either have what it takes or sometimes they carry a message that you don't. Um, that's you, you had a pretty phenomenal interaction with your dad. Tell me 
all the time leading up to that, you know, we have instant gratification that there isn't any. You're grinding on a ship with no high bars. I mean, doing the practicing with the Russians, and then it comes up to your to asking your dad, "Tell me more about that." When it comes to you know, you decided to be a grinder where you're born into it. You know what 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 helps you right now, or, or your story helps you take on the instant gratification. You know. Um, uh, a lie that exists in the world to, you know, showing up every day and then interacting with your dad. I, so I'll, I'm going to talk about one thing from earlier in my childhood and then I'm going to tie it together with sure. probably my proudest or most fulfilling moment in performing or in my career, I would say. And yes, sir. It has to do with my father. I from a young age with the gymnastics training, most kids would go to school and they get to go home or they do a seasonal sport. From a very young age, I would go to school, get off from school, and then go into a four to six hour practice. Oof. From a very young age. I wouldn't, I got home after my family ate dinner a lot of times and I would eat something different. I would stay up till 11, 11.30 doing homework, or I had to wake up early in the morning. And that grind is, I knew it from a very young age. Wow. And it becomes normal. And so it becomes ingrained. And then moving forward, when I quit gymnastics, and I had that in-between time from training at a gym to being in Cirque, I trained alone. I would coach at a gym so that I could have access to a gym. And I would come in before, I coached women's gymnastics, so I would come in before the girls would train and I would stay after. Okay. And I can tell you the amount of hours I've spent in a dark gym alone, pushing myself and training, there's hours and hours and hours that nobody ever saw, nobody really knows about, but I would put music on and I would, I would train till my hands, mm. I had blisters or bloody or you know, my legs were so fatigued on trampoline that they were just gumby. And so that time I knew that it would pay off at some point. Wow. I didn't know how, I didn't know why, but I truly did it for the love. Wow, and, uh, the passion, and that's where I found peace. And I think a lot of athletes or a lot of people that make it to a very high level have had something like a period like that. Yeah, where they've it's, had to really just push. It's interesting. A lot of times we, you know, we're, in the fitness world, we always talk about: is it cold? Is it lonely? Is it dark? Um, and most of the time, if you're training in in the lower forty-eight, there's a season where it's lonely, it's cold, it's dark. And for me, I know when I show up in those times, if I'm pushing a sled, if I'm running, I'm lifting weights at, you know, zero degrees out, you know, a lot of, you know, your Minnesota is a lot of extreme. All of a sudden you can, you can, you start to show up and then all of a sudden a a day turns into a week, a week turns into a month and you've shown up over and over. All of a sudden, I know for me, it's like, it's just a confidence it's a mindset thing that goes from, well, I don't know if I'm going to show up or I can show up to, well, I just showed up for 90 days in the dark at, at 4 a.m. before I had to work to train the girls to all of a sudden there's no doubt. Doubt's a, doubt just goes away. And it's not it's not a question of if can I, it's it's when <laughs> and, and that decision. So I know um, I think over across almost any athlete, any any uh, modality that that grind produce that showing up for yourself consistently is the thing that is a difference between maybe a pro and amateur and someone who just dabbles and um, well done. Well done. Well, the, when preparation meets opportunity. And so the audition and when all that happened, I was prepared. Mm. I was prepared and ready. And in order to be ready, you have to stay ready. And in order to stay ready, you have to be consistently training and sharp and that's why i get i always crack up when there's 
an off season or I'm going to take it's my off time. When I was traveling with Cirque, like my rest periods, I was prepping myself for the next leg. Wow. Like there was rest and recovery, but I'm going to get to one thing you asked about, about the perseverance and my, my father. So my dad, throughout my Cirque career, he saw two shows. The first show he showed up, I believe it was, he showed up at the end of the first act. So he was an hour and a half late and he missed my act essentially. And the second time he came and saw me was at towards the end of my career. And it was when I was in a very dark place mm. and he came to Salt Lake city, Utah, he drove down and at this time, I was performing on a fully torn left shoulder. I didn't know it at the time. I thought that there was something wrong actually with my right shoulder because my neck was hurting. And I was confused. My body was kind of out of order. And I was so used to grinding with an injury that I was continuing to push. The physios in Cirque had me dumbing my skills down, but my dad came in Salt Lake City, and I went into the physio room and talked to the coach, and I said, I want to do everything. And so they let me do all my skills, the hardest track I could possibly do. And my dad was watching the show with the head coach at the University of Utah, Tom Farden, and I hit everything as perfect as it could be for, for me. I had the best show that I had ever had. And I knew when I got off the stage, I could feel my, my body. I, the words were, I'm done in my head. I was, I felt broken, but I felt fulfilled at the same time. And he still talks about it to this day that it was one of his proudest moments of of me getting to see what I do. And he finally had the respect of what I had done for as long as I had done it. Wow. And he was, cause he always told me, he said, you were not the most skilled. You're not the most talented. You're performing with people that are way beyond your skill level, which is true, hmm. right? There's Olympians in my act. There's people that are honestly way more skilled than I am. They can do harder stuff. They can do bigger stuff. Uh, what I bring to the table is I have a body line that was built by Russian Olympians. I learned very quickly. I have passion and I'm a grinder. And uh, I there's always was a, a thing where I could have believed in myself a little bit more. Sure. And I think that that has come more into my life recently. And a lot of that has to do with God. Yes. Because when I was performing, I didn't have God. It was a lot of, you know, my best friend Jan died in a show. I had a series of things where things didn't go very well. And it was, why me? Why me? Why is this year harder than the last year? And then projecting the next year is going to be worse. And each year just keeps getting harder. And I was spiritually bankrupt, mm. spiritually sick. And so I look back sometimes and I think to myself, performing with, a, with God, what would that have been like? And what's funny mm. is I would pray before the show. I would say the Our Father or the Hail Mary, or I would pray for strength and pray for safety over the guys before we went on stage every night. But I, I didn't feel consciously connected and I wasn't building a relationship mm. if that makes sense so it was it does I was praying when I needed it yep only when I needed it I wasn't having gratitude for when things would go well so and that was the missing piece for a long time yeah so so you're at the top of your game I mean mm. your father sees I'm going to just describe it in my words, probably one of your greatest performances in injury. And you come out and go against what the experts are telling you to do and you do everything. And it's one of the most memorable performance. 
at the same time, the top of your game, meaning you're at the highest levels of Cirque doing everything for 10 years, 3,000 shows, et cetera, preparing your body, doing the things that a lot of people in the industry is, it's, it's hard to go up from there. Um, traveling as one of the leading entertainers in this world. And then, but at, at what point, and then you start to suffer. You have a tragic loss. I apologize. I'm sorry for your loss during that time. That is horribly hard and worth recognizing. Um, lost your friend. What what happens? How do you get from there? You start to be on top of your game on the outside, but in the inside, you describe it as spiritually bankrupt. How do you get to where you are today spiritually? Gratitude, thriving, walking with a father versus just going to him and accessing when you need it. Like where, where had that transition happen? Well, in recovery, we, we tell a story of what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. So I'll share my experience with that transition. 2018, yeah, 2018, March, my friend Jan fell in Florida in Tampa Bay, 30 something feet from straps, hit the stage, passed away. And mm. I had seen him that day, earlier in the day. And I watched him perform that act the night before. And I never kiss people on the forehead. It's not something I do, but the last time I saw him, I kissed him on the forehead when I said goodbye. He was the guy that initially taught me my first ever character role in Totem. He was one of the first guys I ever met in Cirque. And so he became a very close friend for about eight years, and then he passed. After that, I went back to Montreal. I ended up training a week after he died, hit my face on the bar, busted up my nose, had a concussion, I had to take a lot of time off from that. And then I came back to tour and I started to battle anxiety for the first time ever in my life. Mm. I'm coming back doing a show. I'm wearing his brother's costume. So his brother, Nico, used to be in Corteo, the show I was in. My costume, I looked at the tag on the inside and it said Nico. And so it was just a series of emotional upheavals every day where I, before the act, I would have walking onto the stage, full-blown anxiety, my heart rate through the roof, my throat closing, doing the act. And then we're supposed to be dancing and singing in front of the crowd. And I just would have tears going down my face. It happened often. And I entered a period of, of some darkness. I, my drug use went up. I would, I started to smoke weed more often than I was. I did uh, MDMA a couple times through that period. Uh, and I never tried cocaine. When the people in the show would do it, I would fade away and I spent a lot of time alone. And I started dating a girl. She passed away on the back of a motorcycle. And then what happened was we had a lot of injuries in the, in the act and the workloads went up and I tore my shoulder, performed on it for four months, did that performance when my father was there. And then after that, the injury got really bad. I ended up having surgery in January, 2019, full reconstructive surgery. Hmm. And the approach I took to that, when I went in, this doctor, he looks at my back and he says, the whole left side of your back is atrophied. I'm not looking at your right shoulder. We know there's a torn labrum in your right shoulder. It's not that bad. The pain from your neck is coming from your left shoulder. So he shows it to me and he shows me my rotator cuff is just torn. My labrum was 90% plus torn. My supraspinatus was torn. My AC joint was like curved at the end and was uh, irritating the bursa and the bursa busted. So it was full reconstructive surgery. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, as soon as possible. So I took the approach of just get it done. Yeah. And he explained it to me. He said, 
once you have, you make this decision, you're already healing. And so I had to wait about a month Mm. before I had the surgery and I started to strength train, had the surgery. I actually had a period of sobriety after the surgery because I wanted to give my body the best chance to heal. Yeah. I came to Idaho about a month to two months after the surgery. And that's when I sought out Brian Mitchell. Okay. I went into his gym and I said, I need somebody who is going to help me. And Kata Shimada at Boise State and athletic trainer for the gymnastics team and Brian Mitchell were very influential. And the first talks about God in my life happened with Brian. Wow. On the table as he's like stretching me and I'm sweating and tearing up because <laughs> I'm in so much pain and he's moving my shoulder and I yes. made pretty drastic improvement with him. I then went back to Montreal, finished my rehab and the doctor told me you have a 30% chance of making it back to the show and it's going to take you a 10 month rehab. Well, I made it back to the show in exactly 10 months. October nineteenth was my first show back, and I integrated fully back into the show, doing actually more and harder skills than I had done prior to the surgery. Wow! Wow! And I made it fully back. The back end of that rehab, though, in Montreal, I was introduced to cocaine. Mm. I did it for the first time, and I would go out and dance all night for hours and it was a fun drug, but I had a lot of pain from the past that I didn't do any counseling for. I didn't have God at the time. I did, God was there. I just isolated myself from him. So that became my higher power. Drugs and women became that whole. And so obviously anything that I, put my power into that's not of the Holy Spirit and of God, I'm codependent on those natures for fulfillment in myself. Right. But when those things are fulfilling me, it's not fulfilling me with confidence or serenity. It's filling me with shame. It's filling me with guilt and resentment. And so essentially I'm just feeding myself. It's like in terms of like, let's talk about diet. I'm not feeding myself with healthy foods. I'm eating junk food. Mm. Well, in the spirit world, I'm filling myself with evil Mm. is really what I'm doing. And that went on whilst I was performing. So I'm traveling the world in Europe. And you said we, you know, we can edit some stuff out if whatever. I'm not that type of person. So I can share my experience and I'll share it truthfully. There were some days in Europe performing where I chose to stay home because I was high. Mm. I missed shows and selfishly hurt people because I was choosing to stay home and, and be high. And COVID happens. We're in Belgium. I get sent home from Cirque back to Reno. Reno is not a place... Reno, let me say this first. Reno was never the problem. I was the problem. Yeah. But I didn't have good vibes in Reno. And I went back there, COVID, and my cocaine use just skyrocketed. And mm-hmm. that's, I spent the whole summer of that co- year of COVID working in the mountains in California. I would take showers in the lake. I would make fires at night. And I would do... I would isolate and do drugs by myself and cry and scream and think about committing suicide. I would take my truck up a mountain to a, a cliff. I drove a stick shift to coma and I would put it in neutral and put my foot down on the gas and just scream. Mm-hmm. And I was so frustrated because I knew deep down in me, there was a good person and a good soul and it just, I did it not, I didn't see the hope. I didn't see the light. I, it was a wrestle. And I think honestly, me being in nature was one of the things that kept me going because I would sure. hear the elk cry at night. Mm, the bugles. And I would, yeah, I would just hear, and I call them the whales of the forest, <sighs> but I would just hear them cry at night. And, um, 
I just remember being in so much pain, so much pain. And I, middle of the summer, I went up to Idaho and this woman who lived in Burley, Idaho, Shay Garner, she's a angel. Yes. She offered me a job to coach at the gym and I got to go to Burley, Idaho where COVID honestly didn't exist. I didn't have to wear a mask. I was back <laughs> in a gym and I was coaching again and I got to be looking back. I was being of service is really mm. what was happening. And mm. so I got to be of service and coach and train and they were a, a Mormon family. So I didn't have to worry about drugs or alcohol being around. I still was eating edibles because in my mind, um, it's the disease of alcoholism and drugs is you right. plug and play all these different things. And you're like, well, I'm not smoking it. So if I eat it, it's okay, whatever. And in January of 2021, we have a competitive gymnastics season. Come on. I bought uh, a 12 and 12, which is a different book and I was going to an online meeting. Yeah. And there were no meetings around in Idaho and I read the book up until it says the word God. And then I shut the book because oh. I still was fighting the idea of the Holy spirit. And I prayed because the book said, pray came to believe in a power greater um, than yourself. that could restore you to the care of sanity something along those lines. And so I prayed, I didn't call him God. I called him dad. And I said, dad, I want to have wealth in family relationships, love, abundance, financial. I don't know how to do any of this. I need your help. Mm. I then book a trip to Colorado to go to this retreat that I saw on Instagram called awaken your wild. And it was a bunch of random dudes. Yes, came together in the Rockies and I broke the bank. I went into the, my bank account negative to go. I get on this email list and I said, I need a ride from the Denver airport. The only person in that email chain to respond to me was this man named Tony. His name's Tony Wells. He's my best friend here in Minnesota. I didn't know him at the time. So he said, meet me at this hotel. So I meet him at this hotel, I show up, I sit in front of him. I'm, I'm, I'm in chaos. I'm squirming in my chair. I'm uncomfortable with myself. I'm scared. I'm nervous, full <laughs> of fear. And he looks at me and says, all right, let's go get in the car. We get in the car, we start driving. And he says, his daughter does gymnastics. We start talking. And so I share a little bit about my life very little because I, I shared enough, I guess, for him to know that he needed to share his story. So he said, I'm going to share my story. And he starts off with talking about his life and this and that. And then at the end of it, he goes, I'm 14 years sober. Wow. And my, my stomach went <clears throat> through the ground because I, I was looking for a mentor. I was Come looking on. for somebody to help me. The only kicker was, and I had reservations, he believed in God. He had yes. a Jesus Christ tattoo on his chest across, and it says, thy will be done. Yes. And so we're doing this breathwork exercise at this retreat. It's called holotropic breathwork. Yep. You breathe for 30 minutes straight. And what it does is it releases the endogenous DMT in your lungs. It's almost like it's a natural chemical. So my experience doing it was I was being choked by this black devilish entity. And I had a lot of pain. I was cramping like this, like almost like it was the evil. Wow. You could see the evil in my body. Mm. And I have pictures of my face and crying. And this guy, when he does his breath work, he's dancing with Jesus. He's talking to God. He's crying. He saw, I just remember him, he got up in the breath work and was crying. And it was, so I'm looking at this, understanding that this guy's having this experience and I'm having this other experience. Yeah, yeah. And there's something that, so I left that three-day retreat wanting what he had. 
right? Wow. And he, that hope that I was looking for in Reno, he instilled hope and a light in me because he had been through what I had been through and through a, through a similar experience, gained 14 years of sobriety and I wanted that. Wow. So he offered me a job at the end of those three days. He said, come out to Minnesota. Yeah. I got this opportunity for you. It's a hundred percent commission. Nothing is promised. You can live with me for four weeks and then you got to figure it out. And I had next to no money in the bank, like nothing, <laughs> nothing. I go back to Idaho. I pack up my Tacoma and I drive out to his house. <laughs> I stay with him for four weeks. He said, I said, what's my job? And he said, you're going to knock doors for roofing sales. Let's go. And I, the level of humility that, that it took for me to go from performing the world in front of millions of people to right. knocking doors. And he said, I think you'll be really good at it. And I didn't know. So my life since being here in Minnesota, I relapsed one more time. I, it's not, wasn't a relapse. I just used one more time because I wasn't really trying sobriety. And this was my, this is my testimony. I got a check from Cirque du Soleil. I had been here in Minnesota for about six weeks. I couldn't afford rent. I got a check from Cirque that was for my severance for 10 years. It was about a thousand dollars. Oh, I was so angry and oh. so full of pride. I wouldn't ask anybody for help. My ego was keeping me from really asking for help. And yeah. so I put up the middle finger and I said, F you to anything and everybody. I finished a week of work. I had, I smoked half a blunt, had a beer, and then ended up with an eight ball in about 30 minutes. Mm. And so the disease of alcoholism or addiction, whatever ism it is, it's never where you don't start where you, you don't start from the beginning, you resume. And once you get to a point where one is too many and a thousand is never enough, I'm in trouble. I'm in big yeah. trouble. And I chose, I was at a bar and I was leaving the bar and this guy, as I walked past him, said snow. Snow meaning snow's a street word for cocaine. Okay. And I just walked past him and ignored him. I walked back to my apartment. I got on my knees. My heart was beating through my chest. And I chose not to pray. But I knew that that was the answer. Yeah. To surrender. To surrender that urge over to God. But I chose not to. So I went back to the bar. I got that eight ball. I did it over the course of two days. And I actually halfway through, I tried to get more and I got robbed. And after I had gotten robbed on the street, thunder cracked. I saw a dash of lightning and then thunder cracked and it started raining. And I heard God's voice and it just, the only two words I heard were sit down. Mm. And I sat down on the edge of the street and I laid back onto the sidewalk and looked up in the sky and it was raining. I started crying. And that was my, I knew I didn't pray. I didn't ask for help. And then here I was completely miserable. And you know, rock bottom is when you put the shovel down. And mm. so I just, gave up. I went back up into my apartment. I had some stuff left and I decided, you know, F it. And I did all of it at one time. And about 20 minutes later, uh, my vision started to get pretty weird. I started to get really hot. I started gushing blood from both my nostrils. I ran to the bathtub. I got into the bathtub and I turned on cold water, ice cold, as cold as I could make it. And I sat in the bathtub and I started praying. Mm. I was scared. My vision was going in and out. I started getting nauseous. And um, there was a blackness that came over my eyes. And I just remember 
praying. I couldn't feel the coldness of the water, but I just remember praying and something and it's God. Now I know it's the Holy Spirit, but I was given strength by something that was not me. Wow. Um, to get up and get back to the, the fridge. I mean, there was blood everywhere. And I got to the fridge, drank some water, made it back to my bed. And that was that gift of desperation is what has catapulted me through to where I am today. God. Um, so, you, so you're that, in the... Yeah, you're in the in the tub, cold water. All this has happened. You've heard God's voice. Um, we're not going to define the bottom, but pretty low moment. Um, where do you go from there? Where do you? The man I know and met at Brian Mitchell's gym, and the guy that was in that tub. Where have you done? You know, a lot of things have happened. You're a lot, lots of pain physically and spiritually. You're on your route back, and you have this setback, um, to say the least, in, in Minnesota. From from the time that you're in the tub, and you hear God's voice that night where you're robbed, to the man I know today, some significant decisions were made and and paths were, were, were decided to take. You know, you, you, had, you had some forks in the road that you took. What, what, what happened? How, where, how did you get on the, the road that you're on now? From that point, I called my friend, Andrew Schultz, who was a guy that I was working with and I knew he had been through what I was going through. So I called him, I asked him for help. And he mm -hmm. gave me love and he just said, you slipped, pick yourself up and meet me tomorrow at the driving range. Cause he knew I loved to play golf. So we met at the driving range the next day and uh, we ended up going to a little farm town the next weekend and they take you through the 12 steps of recovery in two days. And wow. for me and my brain, that really helped me see recovery in a wide view. And I saw the journey and I said, okay, I see the journey. What I'm going to do is I went back to work. The guy, Tony, who was my mentor, I went to him and I said, Hey, I have a resentment towards you. I chose not to call you uh, this night. I used one more time. This is what happened. And I made a face-to-face -face amends to him. And I said, uh, what, am, what am I to do? And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have the time for you and where you're at in your recovery. And we talk about people knowing your limits and he knew his limit. He was too busy. And I know this now with guys that I mentor there's at a certain point, certain people need certain direction. And he guided me to a guy named Patrick who I called him and he picks up the phone and he said, uh, you're calling me for one reason. It's either you're going to live or you're going to die. And it sounds like, you're about to die. So mm. what do you want to do? And I said, I want help. And he said, all right, meet me at my place at 6 a.m. on Sunday. And I said, 6 a.m. on Sunday. And he said, yes. And I said, how far away do you live? And he lived 45 minutes away. <laughs> and what I didn't know is that was a test of how willing are you? And so I woke up on Sunday, got there, and I sat with this man. And he explained to me the spiritual sickness. He said, you are spiritually sick and drugs and alcohol and women were your solution to fill this hole. And he just looked at me and he said, you're broken and you're in pain. And I started crying. I couldn't have healthy relationships. I didn't think I could be of help to real people. I had zero self-esteem. I thought I was useless, hopeless, despair. And he got me to recognize my spiritual sickness. And then he talked about this program he was going to take me through and how it is a program of having a spiritual experience. And yes. at the end of it, I was going to give the gift back to other people. And I tackled recovery like I 
tackled the, my shoulder recovery, like I tackled training in gymnastics. I took the same discipline and I applied it to this program because what else? My best thinking got me in the situation that I was in. Yeah. David's way, David being God, didn't work mm. anymore. Mm. Right? And we yep. talk about, a, they picture a triangle. Here's me. Here's all my expectations, girls, job, blah, 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 material things. And then God's up here. When I am dependent and living on this plane and that doesn't happen the way I want it to, I end up coming down into like the world of evil, drugs, alcohol. And that's my solution when I don't get what I want. I get connected to a higher power and I work through him and I find all those things that are in, in alignment and consciously connected to a higher power, I become in alignment with. And that's been my journey mm. through recovery. And I'm now almost three years sober and I help other men. I've made amends to the people yes. that I've harmed in my life face to face saying, hey, this is how I showed up. Did I miss anything? And they tell me. And then I say, what can I do to make it right? Or how can I repair this relationship? I don't say I'm sorry. I don't say I apologize because I've said that to people hundreds of times and I didn't mean it. Right. David, so, David I'm shocked. I got I to gotta pause for one second and recognize the holiness in your story. And we're, at Iron Bison, this part, we are honored to have you share your suffering, to have you share your, your ups and downs, but the whole journey through really, really hard things, good decisions, poor decisions. But what I'm, what I'm really encouraged by right now and want to give language to is I wrote a couple things down. One is don't go alone and humility. You, you took it upon yourself to make the decision to reach out and call. I, have, I know a lot of people who don't do that, and it ends very, very different. Um, and for our listeners who are listening to this, don't go alone. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Uh, I help lead a nonprofit called Wild Courage, and um, we have a lot of addicts that sit around a fire, and they get to share their story. Another thing I've heard, David, is that you you shared your story on the way to Denver. You you got you got humble. You got, you you came with a sense of authenticity. You said, "This is who I am. I'm not going to hide anymore." Um, when I sit at fires or at Wild Courage, um, we sit with guys who are 15 years sober from from all the addictions, drug, alcohol, etc., sex, and um, they share their story because there's a guy across the fire mm -hmm. who had maybe sharing similar things in their story and they find hope. David, you giving back a sharing your story today is hopeful is life giving. Whoever is listening to this, um, pay attention, be giving it back. It's like you sharing across the fire, um, and giving it back to other men. Uh, it's so hopeful. And I, I just hear and appreciate your responsibility in the decisions you're making, going from a codependent lifestyle to a very, very powerful position, taking responsibility. Uh, we don't hear this enough today. We hear blame shifting. If something goes wrong, it's their fault. It's your fault. Everybody's fault. But, but we sometimes we fail to look in. And David, your ability to look in and take responsibility is remarkable. And I just wanted to pause and say thank you uh, for sharing your story and your responsibility. It's a big deal. And, um, and you got what it takes, man. Thank you so much. Um, mm. So, to, yeah, it's a big deal. It's worth pausing. And, and to kind of, you know, as we kind of bring this discussion to a close, you're giving back now. You're, you're not only, you're not, you're giving things back. Tell us about how you're giving back and where you're going. Right now, I what I do to give back is I take other men through 
the steps in recovery the way that I was taken through. So I pay back the debt that was so freely given to me and I do it because mm. it's a pleasure and I do it because it's the number one insurance policy against me going back out. Mm. I volunteer my time at the Salvation Army. Oftentimes it's at 6 a.m. in the morning. A lot of times when I am being of service and I'll be honest, I don't want to do it. Yeah. There's a lot of times where I'm like, why did I sign up for this? Why am I doing this? But I never leave those times of being of service upset. The selfish part of me doesn't want to do it, but I do it anyways. And I find purpose in being of service to others. So good. That's the way I live my life today. And I am going to start a nonprofit called The Most Dedicated. And it's going to be directed towards recognizing people who are living a life of being the most dedicated towards becoming a better person. And I noticed that I gravitate towards people like yourself. You embody mm -hmm. that principle. Thank you. It's the, it's the principle that I see in people where there's just sincere passion and drive to making mm. the world a, a better place and talking about the basic principles like showing up every day, working hard, rents due every day. There's no easy path. Take the harder, less traveled road and take it with people. Don't do it alone. You talked about that. Take that path that's hard with other humans and you will build a fellowship around you that will love and support you through the best times and also through the hardest times. What did Jesus do? Jesus walked the road less traveled and he helped people that were less fortunate. Yes. And yes. he didn't, he didn't look at anybody and say, I'm not going to help you. Now I'm responsible for the work, but every outcome and my path and my will, I surrender to God every single day. I hit my knees every single day and I hit my knees every single night and I say, thank you. And sometimes I cry at night before I go to sleep because of how grateful I am to be above ground. You know, for a long time, I lived my life like laying next to a lake, dying of dehydration, avoiding the spiritual solution. And now I choose not to just lay there and stare at it, but I choose to take it in and drink it every single day. And so I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. I don't think I've ever talked about my faith and God on a podcast because I just haven't had the, the opportunity yet. Yes. And without God, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I would not be here. I'm living on borrowed time. Mm. Mm. Well, David, I, I just, Again, your story is so holy. It's an honor to have you share it here. Um, as we close this out, I think there needs to be some part two and part threes, uh, maybe in the future. There's a lot yeah, to unpack. Sure. Um, I appreciate the rawness, the realness, but the hope that you've released from your words today. And it's an honor to let you share about God and your walk with God. You know, high level athlete on top of the world, on the bottom of the world. But your walk with God bringing you back uh, is so important and encouraging. Um, we In the show notes, you know, there's going to be f some folks listening to this that may share an addiction, may share a temptation, may have may, may want hope and out of where they're in. We're going to put some links uh, in the show notes uh, for resources, um, whether it be drink, drug, alcohol, habit. It doesn't matter. We'll have a few in the in the. Um, in the show notes and and talking about nonprofit David was going to do is going to start. But and, and so we want to make sure that if you're listening to this and you have a need, there's links and resources that you can go to. Now, to end this show, we have to cut it off somewhere. It's really hard. But, David, you're on a mission right yeah. now, both yeah. both with exercise and spiritually. You yeah. are on a mission. Um, I follow you on Instagram and I get to I get to see. Um, kind of your dailies. You get to see mine. We're kind of, we're tra I'm training for one reason, but you're training for another. Where are yeah. you going with your training? You're a, you go from Cirque du Soleil 
And now you're applying it in a different modality, taking it into a whole other level. Tell us about what God is up with you. Or what, tell us about what you're doing physically. And then tell us about what God's doing spiritually today. I'll try and keep this brief because I know we, we want to end it. But so right now I finally have found, I did all the spiritual work the last two and a half plus years, the mental work, the spiritual work, the emotional work, the work on trauma and a physical, the last part, which I thought would be the first part for me, but I had to take a break. I'm now training for my first ever 70.3 Ironman, which is the second week of June. I have a follow-up, another half Ironman, Madison, Wisconsin, in September, 70.3, which is a qualifier for Kona. Then next year, my goal is to do two full Ironmans. Wow. So Chattanooga and Madison, okay. which is 142-something, a stupid amount of miles doing whatever. I have a fear of open water swimming. I've never done endurance sports in my life, but it's what I'm, my mind is set to. And in terms of the spiritual, uh, yeah. I would like to get, I would like to get baptized and it's a slow process for me. I, yes. it's going to take some time, but I'm, you know, going to church consistently and I'm doing things that are uncomfortable. Um, I, firmly believe in, you know, funny thing, I father, son, and the Holy Spirit. I thought father, son was the sunshine in the sky <laughs> up until last year. So now that I understand that, like, now I, it just, everything makes more sense and I'm going to continue to push myself in, in the spiritual realm and uh, just be open. You know, the three keys to life are honesty open-mindedness and willingness. Mm. Those three qualities are indispensable. Mm. And if I live my life that way, I will always continue to grow in an authentic and true manner. And I'll be able to accept help and live life on life's terms and know that I'm not alone. And so that's my journey. If you want to follow, yes. you follow my, follow my Instagram and uh, website themostdedicated.com will be built out in the next month and there will be blogs on there there will be uh, ability for people to reach out for one-on-ones uh, it's just an, my gift of if you're struggling if you're a performer if you're somebody that's transitioning from one phase of life to another or you you feel confused spiritually i have experience of you know being and going through that confusion, chaos, and, and dark times. So I just want to make myself available, and then we'll see okay. where God takes uh, takes it. Awesome. We'll we'll put the you know your handles and your socials in the show notes as well, so people can follow you like I do. It's a lot of fun to see. Um, well, what's a lot of fun is to see where you came from, um, Cirque du Soleil, but also to see where you're going, and that means physically and spiritually. It was a holy story today, um, David. I love connecting um, on social. We hope to do part two, part three, and yeah. follow you as you as you develop, you know, and and you transform physically into this Iron Man machine. But also, maybe even more important, your walk with God as it develops, as that invitation to walk with God, as you described, um, uh, you know, develops and and the journey unfolds. There's a lot left. For you, this is more of a beginning and or a middle than it is even close to the end. It's an honor to to um to say good job, but you got what it takes, and God is is up to something big. He's doing something good, and um, we just bless you and everything you're about to take on. And you're always going to be a friend of Iron Bison. And if there's a uh, if there's a um, any support we can offer, whether that's spiritual, baptism, exercise, mindset, or walk with God, we're always here for you. Thank you. I have one more thing. Yes, sir. Thank you. God bless you and everything you're doing. And next time I'm in Idaho, I'm going to come to that Wednesday night um, wild session courage. That, that, that wild courage that you guys hold. 
And there's a quote, it's every man has two lives. He starts to live his second life when he realizes he has one. Mm. And that best encapsulate like what I am experiencing. Yes. And so I, I greatly appreciate this. I am going to, um, I can't wait to do it again and, and be back and see you and Brian and, you know, worship with you. For absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. David, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Until next time. I appreciate you.